Hi, welcome to Revenue Marketing Television, the CMO Insight Series. I'm your host, Jeff Pedowitz, President and CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Today as our guest, I'm really excited uh, to present Stephen Cook, who for the last 25 years has been a hybrid. He's done a little bit of everything. He's been a CMO of both big and small companies. He's worked at incubators. He's advised companies both here and in Israel. He's an author. He's a contributor. He's uh, right on the cusp of digital marketing, digital transformation. And right now he's even working on a book, Insights on Impact Innovators. Pleasure to have you on the show. Stephen, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. You bet. So I was trying to think of the best place to start. Got to start with a book. Uh, what was your uh, inspiration behind deciding to start a book on innovation? Well, as you said in the intro, I've worked on the corporate side at P&G, Coke, and Samsung on uh, brand marketing biz dev, but a lot of time on product innovation. Uh, in fact, I started the first innovation group at Coca-Cola Company in the mid-90s. But the last 10 years, I've been working with startups in a variety of capacities and working with other parts of the uh, what I call the innovation ecosystem, uh, VCs, private equity, uh, angels, um, and accelerators and incubators. And what I've seen through my experience is uh, assume that all the other components uh, needed for success in any innovation effort, whether it's uh, on the entrepreneur side or on the corporate innovation side, assume you've got everything. You've got IP, right? You've got capital. You've got every, you know, you've got market timing, right? The most important ingredient, uh, which is, it's hard to argue with, but I've not seen any research on it, is the people, right? You've got to have people, not only the founder, but everybody involved in that initiative that have the right stuff, and I've just been frustrated uh, living through more failures than successes, particularly on the entrepreneur side, which is pretty typical because, uh, you know, only a fraction, a few percentage points of, of entrepreneurs are uh, successful at the end of the day. But I found that uh, through trial and error, I've personally developed my own list of what I think the most important ingredients are for a founder and for a founding team. And I got curious about what others think. And so I've been reaching out the last month. I'm, I haven't started writing the book. I'm collecting insights now from around the world and around the corporate innovation and the entrepreneur ecosystem to find out what people think. And you took a survey yesterday, uh, but I've gotten 70 or so responses so far. It's not projectable, but it, it's just fascinating to see what others think, uh, where there's similarity and where there's differences. Yeah, I, bet. I, I really enjoyed taking the survey, and there was a list of about 20, 30 adjectives, and it ranged uh, from interpersonal skills to just leadership and vision. And uh, you know, certainly working in the field as an entrepreneur, I, I've, we, we've had things that have been great success, and then, of course, we've had other things that have failed miserably, but, you know, we keep learning. Um, so in your opinion, I mean, it's still early. You've only got 70 responses, but what do you think the top quality is for driving innovation? Well, you know what, I, I, I'm intentionally not going to give you what my perspective is because that's, that's <laughs> I wanted to crowdsource the answer. And so from the first 70 responses that I've gotten, again, these are from all parts of the uh, innovation ecosystem, the number one choice, and for those, for those people who haven't taken the survey, the question I ask is pick 10 amongst this list of 20 or 30 different attributes Pick the 10 you think are most important, and they were randomly 
uh, presented. So, you know, it's, it's, this is uh, research done the right way. The number one choice by far uh, is a leader and a team that has a vision for the future. And before the call, you and I were talking about Steve Jobs and uh, that he didn't have uh, the best people skills. He was pretty rough on people, uh, you know, based on what we've been reading about him. Uh, but he certainly had a vision for the future. I, I thought it was probably his strongest attribute. He could see around corners. He could inspire people on the vision that he was seeing. Uh, I mean, he was very forceful with it in some cases, but that's critical. That's critically important. If you don't have a vision for the future, how are you going to invent something that doesn't exist now? You can't. And you can't inspire people. You can't attract capital. You can't attract a team. You certainly can't attract customers. If you don't have a vision for the future, that's compelling and, and turns out to be correct. I, I think about all the, there's been many innovations in my lifetime, but I think you know it's a home run when you didn't know you needed it until you have it. And then now it's indispensable, right? So or it's a smartphone. And I remember when they first came out 10 years ago, I probably like many business executives was addicted to the Blackberry could not see or using a smartphone for any reason. Um, Uber uh, or Netflix or Amazon. There's so many examples of where, what would life be like? You can't almost can't even imagine it. What, what it would be like without these services there. I'll give you one example. LinkedIn. Uh, I was an early adopter and I used it for, you know, a few months, but, uh, in the very early days, and I stopped using it because there was nobody there. There were very few people until they hit that tipping point and it started to scale. And for writing this book right now, I mean, quite frankly, if I didn't have LinkedIn, I would not be able to reach out. I would not be able to find the people, let alone reach out to them and have conversations with them uh, in as frictionless a way as I am doing with this book. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, I'll, I'll find... Uh, just this morning, um, and I'm, and I'm cross-tabbing different uh, uh, pieces of uh, research that I find, I found one of the most prominent groups uh, in the world that has attracted people from around the world called Startup Chile. And it's a government-supported incubator in Chile that has people mentoring and participating literally from around the world. And I've been going through... Uh, their list of mentors reaching out to people and they have people literally mentoring. I don't know if they physically come to Santiago, but mentoring from around the world, all four corners of the world. If I didn't have LinkedIn, I never would have known that. And I never would have been able to reach out to these people to get their perspectives. Yeah, I, I can relate. I've used LinkedIn for these, for this interview series. It's been a very effective way of reaching people. So I want to go back to uh, people because you did talk about having the right people. I guess that the, that correlates very closely with culture, right? I mean, it's just in terms of building a winning culture um, because there are stories of a lot of entrepreneurs that attract great people, but then just as quickly lose them if the culture is not there. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've seen and I've been part of more startups that have failed because a culture was never built. It was assumed that it would happen organically uh, or a culture, culture was built and it was, a, it was a flawed culture or it was a, a guru culture where the CEO thought they knew all the answers and the rest of the team was brought on just to do work and to listen to that, that CEO. Culture is the glue. And, you know, as Peter Drucker said, 
culture eats strategy for breakfast. I've seen it so many times. I think anybody who's been in any kind of business world for, for any number of years knows that, that without a, without a culture, um, you're basically just doing things and you're, you're hoping that the team collaborates, respects each other, that you've got all the right components to uh, create the solution to whatever problems you're trying to solve and bring to market. Uh, I mean, we, you and I could talk about culture for the rest of this call, but it's, it's, it's absolutely essential and it can't be taken for granted that it's just going to appear miraculously. It has to be nurtured and you need people on the team, particularly the leader that has emotional intelligence, which is another one of the uh, highly rated um, attributes that, that come, that's coming up in the research so far, having EQ, having emotional intelligence. IQ is not sufficient. You've really got to understand people and be able to look in their eyes and, and understand what's going on or at least tease it out and have an, have an appreciation for them. Yeah, I, I think EQ is definitely very important and probably even more so today because uh, I see so much striation with the millennial generation and, and older just in terms of how to interact with them, how to motivate them. Um, they have a whole completely different set of attitudes, um, beliefs. Uh, that, of course, they're great people. They're good people. It's just treating them and, and working with them is different than, than working with people, say, from, from our generation. And I, I've seen it's been an adjustment for, for a lot of marketing leaders to be able to drive performance. Most teams these days are distributed. Uh, even if people, you know, use the hoteling concept and work out of an office, they're probably on the road most of the time. I, I know you are because I have trouble getting you a lot of times because you're traveling so much. But you know, uh, my, my specific situation, I work virtually with teams in Israel. In most cases, I never meet people physically. You know, I'm doing business development and marketing work for them in the United States. Uh, and most of the team is based in Israel. So, you know, culture, culture gets even more difficult to build when people are remote. How do you build that culture when, when people aren't there to have a cup of coffee or to go, uh, you know, you know, go out and have dinner? It's, it's much trickier and I don't have all the answers. You just need to be tuned in. And to your point about differences in generations, that's another tricky uh, aspect. And frankly, I'm learning something new every day. I don't have all the answers either, uh, but you need to, um, I think we all need to listen more than ever and watch more than ever and just be more perceptive. No, I, I agree. Uh, at the same time, it's also exciting because uh, with technology playing more of a prominent role, um, bringing the world closer together, um, the younger generation just has an innate skill and ability to handle this in a, in a way that people in our generation, we have to, well, we could do it, but we have to work at it. <laughs> Whereas it seems it's more natural with them. And then, so then it's balancing out the business acumen, right? The financial skills, the management skills, um, combined with the technical, um, you know, cause I, I have seen a lot of, uh, young people get promoted very quickly because they were a social media guru or a web expert or they're awesome at marketing automation, but then they lost the job four or six months later because they didn't know how to manage people. They didn't know how to run a department. They didn't know how to drive towards business results. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. There are, there are natural components to being a, a born leader, so to speak, of, of people, but there's a lot to learn along the way. 
you know, still learning, as you said, I, I think um, part of being a good leader is still being humble, right? And, and, and being open to constantly learning and having an innate curiosity about, about you know, you don't, you don't have the results of the first 70 responses, uh, but you're, you've been around the block a few times. You just hit on two aspects. The second most important attribute, and again, think, think of this in terms of these are the attributes that a variety of people in a variety of, uh, uh, you know, places in the innovation uh, value chain think are essential. Second after vision for future, the second most, or second most highly voted Attribute is a continuous learner. You just said that. The third highest uh, rated attribute, somebody who listens. So these are, you know, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm really getting a lot of, um, I'm getting more energized as I get more responses in because most of these answers are not what you would have expected. I would have expected, frankly, that uh, being proficient in, uh, in the technology, in the vertical that you're in, would have been the most important uh, or one of the highest rated attributes. Yeah, yeah. I was just reading uh, an article, an 11-year-old girl just uh, invented and as, a, as a responding to the Parkland shootings. She already had a couple of inventions already, but she built like a, a bulletin board that's, that's bulletproof so that in case of the attack, the kids can hide behind it. And then it, it doubles, I guess, as a lesson board and, and put things on top. So it looks natural within the classroom, but then in the event of an emergency, it acts as a shield. So now this is an 11-year-old, right? What is an 11-year-old girl? Uh, she doesn't have a lifetime of experience with technology and all these things. She saw and need. She had vision, right? And then she had the persistence and will. And so one of the things I love about innovation, and I, I've always tried to encourage this uh, at my company, is, look, this is not a top-down affair, right? I mean, you can create... Anybody can be, anybody can create, anybody can come up with ideas if you empower them to do so um, and give the, the chance for that, that idea to grow. Absolutely. And Jeff, I, I love how this conversation is flowing. <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. The fourth highest rated attribute was being passionate about a problem. You know, and that, that, that 11-year-old girl, unfortunately, you know, her generation is in the thick of... Um, uh, these tragedies at school, I can't, I can't even imagine being in her position, uh, going to school while it might not have been fun. We never had to worry about that. You know, these kids, when they go to school every day, it's something that's, you know, on their forehead, you know, thinking about what could happen today and being, being hyper aware of, of those kinds of situations and doing drills. We used to do fire drills. Now they're doing active shooter drills. I can't imagine. So she, she had firsthand knowledge uh, an appreciation of a problem, and she was obviously passionate about it enough so to create a solution and and to bring that to the world. I don't know what commercial state it's in, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's reaching out to her to bring it to market. So, um, you know, throughout your career, I mean, technology certainly been a disruptor. It's been a disruptor that I've seen. Um, what do you think are some of the things, if you, if you look strategically across the realm of technology, what do you think has been one of the bigger disruptors to the way that we do marketing? Uh, well, I always, I was trained at Procter & Gamble in consumer centricity. Always start with the consumer, the consumer or customer is the boss. And I think what we've seen, you know, if you go up to 80,000 feet, all of the technology that, that we as individuals and business people have seen uh, you have to start with the behavior changes that technology has enabled in, in the consumer and then go back from that. So, 
you know, I don't even think about enterprise-wide software or, or uh, you know, big data platforms. I don't start there. I start with the consumer and what's changed. And again, you and I were talking about um, the advent of smartphones earlier, right? Uh, our behavior has changed. We all have a computer in our hands that has more processing power and memory than the Apollo 11 had. That's an amazing fact. And we really, you know, a few years from now, we won't even need the laptops that you and I are on right now. We will be connected with uh, either a virtual screen that will be projected from a phone or from a smartwatch or from something else in the IoT uh, or just voice activation with a screen that shows up somehow uh, somewhere. And so consumers' behavior has changed. That causes marketers in every business, B2C or B2B, to need to figure out, so how do I change? How do I engage them? And how are they going to engage with me? And what are all of the tools and platforms and, and ways of interacting with them and types of content? You know, think about voice right now with you know, Siri and Alexa. Everyone's moving to voice now. Right. That's going to become the new user interface very quickly. Yeah, 40% of search this past year was voice activated. Yeah. Uh, so, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, so I agree with you. What does marketing look like when there's no screen? There's no banner ad. There's no image. There's no copy. There's no text. There's no interographic. There's no, there's no white paper. How do you reach your, your customer? I mean, it really is like minority report, right? But, but in a whole new way. Absolutely. So, you know, take your business in a few years from now, you're going to have B2B leaders, C-suite people uh, talking to a voice activated device saying, um, who are the top providers in revenue management? And if the Pedowitz group doesn't show up, you're not in the considered set. So even for a B2B business, how do you become visible and findable? And it goes well beyond SEO. How do, you, how do you have the right content so when people speak key words, your content pops up? And, you know, it's, it's probably one of the reasons why you're doing this series. It's one of the reasons why I write for CMO.com. I want to have relevant, consumable content on the net so that people that are looking for it find that content and ultimately work their way to find me if I am relevant for what they're looking for. Yeah, can you imagine that? I mean, today, we're, we're just trying to get on the first page, right? Um, now we got to be in top three. And you're not going to want to sit there listening to Alexa. Yeah, give me page two. Uh, go, scroll down to number seven. No one's going to have a conversation like that. So you're going to say, yeah, give me the top two or three. And that, that, that that's going to be it. Um, well, I was... Oh. So Jeff, Jeff, on the point, if I can just jump in, I was at a marketing research conference a few years ago and met a gentleman who has his whole career is in marketing research, and he gave a talk on uh, the world of science fiction and how science fiction writers are generally pretty good at predicting the future. I mean, look how accurate Gene Roddenberry was with Star Trek, right? Uh, and, and what Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are now trying to bring to the world and Richard Branson uh, in terms of space travel for, for the general population. But he talked about voice activation and he said, if I were a brand manager at Coca-Cola or any CPG company right now, I would be spending a lot of time trying to figure out how do I get into Siri's database 
so that when consumers um, have a replenishment purchase of something that they buy on a high frequency basis, like soft drinks, that, and, and if, if I am not in the top two or three choices, I'm out of the game. I'm literally out of the game because your refrigerator is going to reorder or yep. you're going to say, I need some beverages for my teenage daughter's party this weekend. Siri, what should I order for 20 girls and boys? And if you're not in that considered set, if Sprite and, and you know, Fanta doesn't come up, guess what? Siri is not going to order Sprite and Fanta. It's just, it's not going to happen. And that's, that's pretty darn sober. Well, I'll give you one better because you know how uh, now already Amazon can um, pre-order for you. It, it's, awesome. uh, you know, so can you imagine like, you talk, hey, honey, we should order great groceries. The doorbell rings. <laughs> Amazon's already there with your order. I, I don't think it's that far-fetched. I think that they're going to be actually be able to do that. It's, you know, we're, I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. You know, we've all been chasing real time, real time in every business, right? With, you know, mining big data. Uh, I, I want to be on your computer screen in real time when you're searching for um, a hotel room, right? Now we're, now we're moving to predictive, right? I want to be able to predict based on what you're searching for, as you said earlier, that you're looking for a new car. I need to be able to predict that so that with behavioral retargeting, my Lexus ad shows up on your screen. Yeah, or you're walking through the mall and it shows up and it's an ad because it knows that you're, you're in market. So in a lot of ways that the retargeting ads follow you around the web now, those ads are going to follow you around uh, IoT, right? Just, just in terms of all the engagement. I, IoT, and that's where artificial intelligence is going to be faster and more helpful than any group of human beings could be. And where, uh, you know, augmented reality or mixed reality glasses or contact lenses uh, are going to be able to show up con or show you content as you are approaching um, that content or that provider, or you're thinking about it. And that's where we're moving. And it's, uh, it's exciting, but it's, it's an awful lot to uh, digest. It is when marketers are still just trying to get through the day, right, with everything that they've got going on. But uh, wow, just great, great interview today, Steve. Um, insightful. And I uh, can't wait to hear more about the book. So we'll have to do a part two soon. Well, Jeff, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the link so you can post this to your readers. I'd love to have everybody who works in any capacity innovating. Uh, which is most executive these days. If you're not innovating, you're, you're, you're probably not long for that job. So I'd love to have all of your listeners participate and share their thoughts. That sounds great. And I'd be more than happy to do that. So thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. You bet.